Hello and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unqualified Analysis. We are your hosts, Zach and Caleb, and today we've got a good show for y'all. College football championships are going on in about an hour and a half from when we record, so they'll probably be just about starting as we finish up. We're going to give some crazy predictions on that just to look like complete idiots when you guys listen to this Tuesday it's one morning. of our favorite pastimes, looking like idiots. It's pretty much all we do, to be honest. It's probably our I only mean, marketable skill, right? I will stand right under that hoop and get dunked on. It's fun sometimes. We are, after that, going to talk about the official greatest Week 18 in the NFL that we have ever had, at least right now. It's been a pretty crazy week, though, all things considered. Maybe one of the more drama-filled weeks in all of the regular season, to be honest. And then we're going to wrap that up with a little bit of NBA talk. So first, let's go ahead and get into this college football game. We've got Alabama versus Georgia. I believe Georgia is actually favored in this game. I think it's a one and a half point spread. I'm a little surprised about that. But I mean, when you've got two teams like this, I feel it could go either way, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's right where it has been the whole time. Honestly, I'm, I'm shocked as well that UGA is favored. I guess that Vegas... Has them, you know, given them a little bit of an edge for the um, for the experience having gone against them already in the SEC championship. But uh, yeah, as far as my my prediction for this game, uh, I think Bama is going to end up depressing the hell out of all of us, uh, winning outright and winning handily, and they're going to beat them by probably I would say at least multiple touchdowns. Uh, Bryce Young is also going to have four plus TDs. I think. I really hope I'm wrong, but I think they're just going to come out and. Bama be Bama this year. I hope that you're wrong, too. I'm going to be much more of an optimist here. I think University of Georgia is going to come out. They're going to surprise Alabama. Look, the last time that two teams faced in the regular season and then went on to face in the championship and the line favored the loser, Alabama torched LSU. Not a memory I like to remember, but it's one I have to for this instance. University of Georgia is going to come out. They're going to have a good game plan. They're going to learn from their mistakes. One of Alabama's biggest issues is if they start off a little slow, they get behind. Sometimes they have issues getting back in. They haven't really played from behind a whole lot, and they've played a lot of really tough games this season against opponents who had no chance really of being with them on a normal day. I think Stetson Bennett's going to surprise us, throw maybe a good 250, 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. That running game's going to dominate, and... No turnovers for Georgia. That means Georgia's going to win. I will say Stetson Bennett ended up uh, ending the season as the leader in yards per attempt. So, I mean, hey, he might be able to sling it downfield. He's got giant tight ends who have, you know, been underutilized throughout the year. He's got athletic receivers. So maybe they can get some uh, some good big plays down the field. Uh, I really hope I'm wrong. That's all I'm going to say, man. Yeah. I think also Jordan Davis is going to have six and a half sacks in the first quarter alone. Give or take. Hopefully on the first drive before he gets winded. Before he gets winded, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Look, okay, okay, but real talk, though. If you get, like, four sacks in the first quarter, but then you don't play the next three quarters, is it still worth it? I don't know, man. That that seems to be the way that Kirk Cousins approaches the game of football, if you talk about stat compiling-wise. So, I mean, hey, that's, you know, it seems to work for some people. Fair enough. With that, let's go ahead and get into Week 18. So instead of going chronologically like we usually do, we're going to go ahead and start with the games that didn't really matter for the playoffs, starting with Kirk Cousins' team in the Vikings versus the Bears. 
this was the fireball. I mean, we knew that Ryan Pace was out. We knew that Matt Nagy was out. We were pretty sure that uh, Zimmer was out. A little surprising, Rick Spielman is also out. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Thursday's cast. But I mean, <laughs> could this game have any less stakes for the players involved? Uh, not at all. I would just like to mention at the top here, the Vikings ended up finishing 8-9, and nine, and I have maintained from the beginning they're either going to finish 9-8 and eight or 8-9, eight and nine, so fucking kill me. Fucking kill me. I know my team. It, it, it hurts, man, but hey, this is, for that very reason, it's probably good that they got a, a hard reset here. Again, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more on Thursday, but as far as this game, at least we ended the season on a high note, beat the Bears. I would hate yeah. to go into the offseason Losing to them one more time. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I mean, fuck him, but he had a damn good game in this one. think like 11 yards per attempt, three touchdowns. Um, had a long touchdown to Justin Jefferson. So, I mean, hey, I mean, I can end the season on a little bit of optimism. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> next. this offseason is going to be chaos, man. That's all I can say about that. Yeah. Yeah, I want to put some respect on Justin Jefferson. I mean... He ended up having one of the best seasons in only his second season after breaking the rookie record for receiving yards last year. He had 1,600 for this year, which is second in the league behind only Cooper Cup, who had meteoric numbers. That alone is insane. Um, That being said, when you have that kind of offensive acumen, I feel like there needed to be a little more consistency because you had Dalvin Cook in the backfield. Things just really weren't gelling in the right way for Mike Zimmer's team. I think that eight years is enough time to figure out what you have. I think it's time you guys look for a new direction here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was it was time to move on from him. As far as the roster he left behind, though, and kind of the reason why I'm a bit shocked that they got rid of Rick Spielman is that, I mean, they got a lot of good players in place. Yep. I mean, you look at the individual players on offense, and, I mean, I harped on it all season. They got... Two legit, like, number one caliber wide receivers. They got a very good third wide receiver in K.J. Osborne. Uh, Different players have chipped in at fourth very solidly throughout the year. Uh, You got Dalvin Cook. I mean, the list just goes on and on. But you said it. They just weren't consistent enough throughout the year. And you, you look at it at the end of the year. The individual numbers are great. But how did we end up eight and nine? It was, you know. Yeah. It was a just a lack of consistency throughout it, but yeah, I just want to go. I just want to quick quickly remind everyone that Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase were both going against college DBs in the same receiving core, and uh, Joe Burrow was throwing them the ball at one yeah, point. That's insane. <laughs> it, it gets more silly the more time goes by after that game. Like it's it's incredible to think. I mean, it makes sense that they destroyed the SEC West that year. Uh, I will give props though. Darnell Mooney on the other side, he is a legit piece to work around on the uh, for the receiving core for the Bears. Um, they have Allen Robinson there. I don't think he's wanted to be there for a while though. Mooney is a young guy you can build around, especially with Fields there. I just hope you know, as a Vikings fan, they hire the wrong guy. I want to say Allen Robinson's a UFA this season, so maybe he'll finally be able to leave Chicago. I feel like he's one of those wide receivers who could be a number one wide receiver on any team. I certainly think the Saints would make a really big push to get him on their team. They're the kind of team that I think he would love to go to. Seems to have a really good culture and needs a wide receiver, right? Um, But Darnell Mooney, I mean, 81 catches, over 1,000 yards, 
And you have to think of the quarterbacks throwing to him. Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Neither of them were particularly great at any point during this season. They had some flashes of good games. I think uh, I think Andy Dalton actually threw for over 300 yards in this game, which is probably his best game and the best game for the Bears this entire season. But Darnell Mooney is only a second-year man, so this really bodes well for him. Unfortunately, it's with the Bears, so... If Jay Cutler's years taught me anything, if these years have taught me anything, that's not going to amount to anything for Darnell Mooney. Sorry, man. Your career might be over before it began. Yeah, it's kind of like D-Hop with the, with the Texans early in his career where he is just like having bum after bum after bum throw him passes, but he's still getting like big, big numbers every season. Uh, I do want to keep an eye on like Allen Robinson, though, because I think at his stage in his career, he's old enough now to where I think he's the money doesn't mean quite as much at this point. I think he's going to go to wherever like the best QB is that, that ends up offering him. Like I would look for maybe down in Tampa, but the receiving core is a little bit crowded. Uh, now that Green plus Bay, Tom Brady's old there. Yeah, too, plus so Tom Brady is no old. question that. Yeah. And in Green Bay, they've got, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and with Jordan Love performing the way he is, I think they're going to end up staying with Aaron Rodgers. So you got to look at there too. I mean, probably where he ends up going is going to be a place that has a quarterback. If I had to guess. I think I think the Saints could make a good push for him, if only because the Saints are stacked on defense, have a really solid line. And the quarterback's a bit of a question, but, I mean, Sean Payton's the best offensive guy, right? Like, he's – I don't care what anyone says about Sean McVay. I think Sean Payton is the best offensive mind in the NFL. Um, I do think the Patriots could make a push because Mac Jones isn't going to light anyone on fire, but he's shown that he can win, and winning solves all problems, right? Mm-hmm. With that, let's go ahead and get into the other NFC North matchup. We had Packers versus Lions. There's not a whole lot to talk about on this one. I mean, as we guessed, the Packers started all their starters in the first half, but then they all sat down. Um, two big things here. One, Jordan Love. That dude's not the guy. He was awful in this game. Yeah. In a game where Aaron Rodgers was very good, Jordan Love was awful. Yeah, looking more clownish than the Jaguars fans on Sunday, dude. I mean, <laughs> you losing to the Lions. I mean, I figured even with Jordan Love in there, the Lions is the Lions. It might be close, but the Packers should win this. I mean, you said it though. Jordan Love, really, one touchdown, two interceptions, uh, had a fumble, recovered it, but had a fumble still in this one. Uh, he hasn't really looked good in any of his appearances so far hasn't put together any consistent performances uh Aaron Rodgers has, just has to be sitting back and smiling saying I have got this team bent over a barrel right now he can do anything he wants and for that reason for that you know shift of leverage quite frankly I think he ends up staying in Green Bay from now on which I mean it it, it hurts <laughs> I'd prefer he just <laughs> I'd prefer he just left me alone but it it is, on one hand, nice to see him staying with the Green Bay Packers. It is, you know, it'd be weird to see him in another uniform at this point. Better there than in Tampa Bay, I would say. Um, on the Lions yeah, side, perspective. for my, for my <laughs> second point, I'm on Ross St. Brown. We've already talked about him, so I'm not going to harp on it too much, but he had a great game in his own right. He had over 100 receiving yards. He has over 900 for the entire season. As a rookie, this dude had was 30th in receiving yards for the season. He's one of the few really bright spots for the Lions. Between him and, I would say, like DeAndre Swift, 
I feel like you've got a really good dynamic duo that you can start to build around. I think Jared Goff might be good enough to keep for another season, but you do have a lot of pieces to work on getting better, I think, for Dan Campbell's unit. Yeah, and I think low-key, they got some really solid pieces on the offensive side. I mean, you think about it, you talked about St. Brown already. He was a monster down the stretch of the season. I think going into next year, I don't really care who the QB is. He ended up having those monster numbers with uh, between Jared Goff and Tim Boyle at QB. So I'm fairly confident that whoever's the QB next year, he's going to have a solid, spectacular even year. They, they drafted Penny Sewell like we talked about before. I mean, he was absolutely as advertised, just mauling people. And they have DeAndre Swift in the backfield. You just build some stuff around that. And, I mean, they're really not that far away from having a solid offense overall. And you just got to really – if you're a Lions fan, this is like the first time in a while that you can look at your head coach and say, I mean, you got three wins on the season. But the way they played – really throughout the season and especially down the stretch, just fighting in every single game, you got to really be excited with what Dan Campbell brings to the table in the future here, which is a, a big change. You think about it, they're the second most stable team in the entire division right now. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> right. to think about. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people clown on them against the 49ers because the 49ers essentially blew them out and they got all their touchdowns in garbage time. But that is indicative of the culture, right? Like, even if you're down 17, 20, however many points they were down, they still had the gusto to keep competing and getting those points, you know, making sure that they make it competitive. And I feel like that's one of those things we've been saying this entire year of how we like Dan Campbell because he brings a good culture. He makes everybody want to play better. It's yet to be seen whether he's going to be able to extract the best out of his players We'll have to wait for him to start getting his own guys in. But the future does look bright. Unfortunately, because they won here, they did lose out on the number one overall pick. But realistically, in the draft that doesn't have like a franchise setter like Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, whomever, you're probably okay with that. I mean, you can probably take your pick between Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau. Jaguars take one. They're probably going to take the other in my eyes. Or, you know, they'll just pick up another really good foundational piece. It's a very loaded draft coming up. Yeah, really, since that draft that Aaron Donald went in, I think it was like, we were just talking about this before recording. I think like 14? Yeah, 2013, 2014, something like that. I can't really think of off the top of my head any other draft where the number one pick, number one overall pick really meant less. (laughs) Like, there's no Fisher. Yeah, don't Eric, that one, man. I mean, the Eric Fisher draft, I think that that might have been that draft, honestly. Uh, whichever one Jadavian Clowney ended up going in, I mean, there, there's a couple there. But, like, this is, this is one of those where, honestly, it, as long as you have a top pick, you can close your eyes, just pick the best available, and they're probably going to end up being a pro bowler because everywhere except QB, I mean, I'm talking, like, Right down the list all across the board is fucking loaded this year. It's just like, don't let the, the QBs or lack thereof fool you. I mean, you got wide receivers. You got running backs. You got linemen. You got defensive line. I mean, all across the fucking board. So, yeah, just close your eyes. Pick the best one available. You'll probably be good. And honestly, with what they already have there, I mean, it's going to take a lot. But if they, they do the right moves this season, this offseason, I can envision them pushing for 500 next year. I mean, it's not... Not crazy to think that with the way they've fought throughout this entire year. It'll be a fun Lions team to watch for sure. Let's go ahead and 
keep with the NFC as we get to the East Division where we had the Washington football team versus the Giants. Neither team had absolutely anything to play for. Honestly, I don't think anyone willingly watched this game. It was Taylor Heineke versus Jake Fromm in Jake Fromm. I think this was Jake Fromm's first like real extended action. And he definitely looks like a fish out of water here. He threw hey, under hey, 50%. Trick it in, Georgia fans. Kirby Smart picked this guy <laughs> over Justin Fields one time. Drink it in. <laughs> he, he had a pick six against him. He had another interception. And Taylor Heineke wasn't much better. But at least he wasn't Jake Fromm here. Right, right. And I mean, I think if Taylor Heineke, as long as he just didn't shoot the team in the foot, the Giants have been so bad recently, like, it didn't even really matter that much. Like, they were going to at least, like, get the win here. Um, the fact that the Giants ended up keeping, I mean, they allowed Dave Gettleman to retire quietly and just kind of ride off into the sunset looking for NFL quarterbacks on his own time, but, uh, they're still sticking with Joe Judge. Like, you know, they had the meeting with, they had the, the end of season meetings with both Gettleman and Judge. Joe Judge came from that meeting apparently with like an eye on the future, had the team meeting with an eye on the future. So all of the, by all appearances, he's going to be. <laughs> The, the coach for next year, um, I cannot believe <laughs> okay. even that. I mean, I get that. I get that John Mayer is a man of his word, but I cannot believe they stuck with Joe Judge with the way they ended this season. I've never seen someone just like know that they have the job next year and be like, all right, I give up on the rest of the season quite as much as Joe Judge has. It's This is bad, dude. Yeah. He must have a serious silver tongue in order to be able to get out of this one. We see him in press conferences, though. He doesn't. We know he doesn't. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's saying all these preposterous things. Like, there's no way that past players want to play for this current Giants team. Like, this Giants team might be 4-13. and Probably worse than the Lions. I think the Texans could definitely give them a run for their money. They probably should have, like, the number two pick in the draft, to be honest. If you're a fan... Buckle up, because, I mean, you got the Eli Manning years. You should just look back fondly on that and just remember that. Keep that right here, because this next decade and change is probably going to suck. Just just put it out there for you. I do, as a final note, want to give some props to Antonio Gibson. We knew coming into this year that he was a solid running back. He had a good season for a Washington football team that really didn't have anything, not even a logo or a mascot. Uh, he finished sixth in rushing yards with over a thousand for the season. He had seven touchdowns. He was pretty solid for this team, but I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down for the season. The Heineken is basically a weaker Fitzpatrick. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to be excited for for Washington. He at least made it fun for them for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like Antonio Gibson. I hope the franchise takes care of him, but this feels more and more like I know how. I know how running back economics work in the modern NFL. You take a guy, you draft him fairly low like you did with Antonio Gibson. You put a lot of miles on his legs early in his career, and you use that mileage to justify not giving him a very big contract. I can almost guarantee that's what's probably going to happen here, but I really do hope they take care of him because he has done a whole lot for the franchise, just making them like not a total laughing stock on offense while they've just, just been figuring stuff out with the QB situation here recently. It's kind of like with Melvin Gordon, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he was a touted prospect for the Chargers. 
He was really good. You probably should have given him a second contract, but the Chargers ultimately let him walk because running back is one of the worst positions to play in the NFL. For being and what honest. did they end up with? Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Have Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon is still just fine. He's still getting over a hundred yards in games, getting over a thousand yards in seasons, but it's just not the same as getting a quarterback. Let's go ahead and get into the Bengals versus Browns, the last of the games that didn't really have any playoff implications. The Bengals and Browns both sat all their players. Joe Mixon was out with COVID. They finally got surgery going for Baker Mayfield, which is probably a month later than I would have done it personally. Because looking at this game, it's very indicative of how much Joe Burrow means to the Bengals, as they only scored 16 points, and how little Baker Mayfield means for the Browns, as they still beat the Bengals with Case Keenum. Yeah, pretty much. At the end of the day, they really should have gotten to Case Keenum a long time ago. I mean, Baker Mayfield has just been, he's been the glass bones, paper skin guy, like in the full body cast for pretty much the entirety of the season, at least as long as I can remember. Case Keenum would have at least like not actively shot the team in the foot. I think they could have actually made a run at the playoffs with the defense and run game that they have. But uh, it's kind of kind of a moot point at this point. I do kind of want to highlight Darius Johnson because, I mean, yeah. Stefanski's not an idiot. He knows this game it means absolutely nothing. He can't really put a whole lot of miles on Nick Chubb in this one. I think he only got 10 touches for Nick Chubb. But other than that, just kind of like sat him on the pine for most of the day. Dearness Johnson talked about running back economics. A young guy who has come in this year and produced at pretty much every opportunity he's been given at a high level. Uh, yeah, it's... Not looking great for Kareem Hunt going forward here, especially with the uh, expensive contract he already has. Yeah, I think Kareem Hunt's probably out of a job with the Browns. They're going to either cut him or trade him for cheap something to get him off of their records because the Ernest Johnson is as cheap as it gets for running backs. And like you said, I mean, he's been producing ever since Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were both out at the same time. You talk about a guy who... Gave, like got the most out of the opportunity he was given, right? Because I don't think he yeah, was getting sure. any sort of reps before that uh, that whole COVID thing happened. He was thrust into the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think of like Rashad Penny in the same stroke, right? Like the starting running back goes out and you come in and just take off. And in the same stroke that we might not be talking about Kareem Hunt any longer, we might not talk about Chris Carson any longer either because right. the man's had injury issues and Rashad Penny is a fresher back who – honestly has produced more for the Seahawks than he has. Man, I'll tell you what, being a running back, it's gotta be the yeah. it's gotta be the most depressing, like cutthroat job that there has to be in the NFL. Like outside of linemen, I mean, damn, that shit's brutal. Let's go ahead and get into games that actually have some playoff implications as we had a race for the number one seed in the AFC. The Bengals were initially in that hunt, but it was pretty evident as soon as the Chiefs-Broncos game went on that they had no chance at it. The second the Chiefs won, the Bengals were stuck where they were. Um, that is to say the Chiefs did beat the Broncos here, but they did need some help. It's not a great look for the Chiefs' defense when they give up 24 points to a team that's missing a quarterback, just any quarterback. They gave Drew Locke a solid game, and they really had to have what was... Honestly, a freak play from Melvin Gordon, who was dominating the game, having a fumble against him from, I believe, Melvin Ingram, yep. Melvin all Melvin violence there, damn shame. And then 
one of Drew Locke's former teammates in Nick Bolton picks it up and runs it in for a touchdown to ice the game for the Chiefs. Pretty tough game if you're a Chiefs fan. Are you worried at all for them heading into the postseason? I mean, this is kind of like what you would expect from, well, maybe not expect from the Chiefs, but it's kind of on brand for them, right? They haven't been able to kind of, the, the rushing defense is the one area where I don't think they have markedly improved throughout the year. Like the pass defense has gotten better throughout the year, but the run defense has kind of not been great. And going against the Broncos when you got those two running backs, Melvin Gordon was running wild throughout this one with the exception of getting absolutely clobbered by his fellow Melvin late in the game for that long uh, fumble return touchdown. But uh, at the end of the day, this was a divisional matchup. Uh, the Chiefs, also true. they just kind of had to get through this one. Um, I don't know. I, I think they're still probably right there at the top. The AFC is so wide open. I think any one of the top like five teams, maybe even six teams, could have a legitimate shot at winning the Super Bowl. I honestly can't wait to watch it. Vic Fangio's out, which we expected to happen. Um, unfortunately, I think DC is probably where he belongs. He just can't really get a solid, cohesive unit on offense. But look, his defense is great. He's going to be a great DC for somebody, maybe like the Vikings or somebody, right? Like somebody yeah. who definitely can play some of that hard-nosed football. That being said, one really good thing for the Broncos heading into the offseason is Melvin Gordon, who is probably starting to look towards maybe getting a contract extension, is having a really good season. And even with the rise of Javante Williams, he is still producing. This is one of the best one-two running back duos in the league. They both rushed for over 100 yards in this game. And like I said earlier, Melvin Gordon was just popping off 10, 15-yard runs left and right before he had that unfortunate fumble. The future looks bright, especially for Javante Williams. Yeah, and I think if you can keep uh, Melvin Gordon at an affordable contract, you do it. The problem is, like, what what is the definition of affordable and what is he going to ask? Yeah, because if he asks, key, right? if he asks for too much and someone ends up giving him too much, I mean, you got to let the guy walk. But at the end of the day, I feel like this is a golden era for teams looking for running backs, not necessarily running backs looking for money. So especially in a draft class it's definitely like this. a buyer's market, I would say. Yeah, in a draft class like this especially, I bet you could find somebody in the fourth round that'll come in, be the, be the backup to Javante Williams, then come in and just be an absolute star in that role. So, I mean, you don't necessarily need Melvin Gordon going forward. It would help, though, that's for sure, especially yeah. with... I mean, they're going to get a new QB in there. That's for sure, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know I was playing Madden 22, and after after the first season when the New York Jets won the Super Bowl, uh, Teddy Bridgewater actually went immediately back to the Vikings, and Kirk Cousins went to the Broncos. So well, that would be a funny one to see for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I actually want that. Um I love Teddy. Just a, really, just a funny hypothetical. I love I love Teddy. I really do. But uh, I think he's uh, I don't I don't want to insult him. He's a, he's a very nice guy. He's got a very clear ceiling. That's what I'll say about very him. very clear ceiling. Uh, I do want to highlight McCole Harmon in this one though because he had you know picked a great time to have his first hundred yard game of the season. Uh, carried the entire load for the offense in this one. Uh, yep. Chiefs overall, 
I mean, all they had to do was win this one, like I said before. But, you know, it's good to see McCole Hardman getting out there and making contributions going into the playoffs. I mean, you're going to need him as the second, third. What what would you even call him at this point? I mean, yeah. He's probably the second receiver at this point. I mean, I obviously you're going to put um, Travis Kelsey as in that conversation too, but he's still a tight end, so he's doing other things that Michael Hardman doesn't have in his jurisdiction. So I'd put him at number two. So with this game, the Chiefs were half a game ahead of the Titans, and based on how the Titans performed, the Chiefs had a chance at the number one overall seed in the AFC. The Titans ended up playing the Texans, and unfortunately for the Chiefs, but fortunately for Tennessee, the Titans ended up winning this game. So it was all in vain for the Chiefs. The Titans had a bit of a scare against the Texans. They went up early, but the Texans did roar back. Another football team that I feel is a little better than... Actually, uh, 5-12, and 12, actually. Those wins kind of snuck up on me a little bit. Um, that's probably pretty fair for them. I mean, Davis Mills has been quietly solid for them. One of the better untouted guys that you know isn't going to stick around for a while. I believe the Texans have the number three pick in the draft entering the draft. And they'll be looking to maybe get some solid foundational pieces before they look to quarterback, I think. Yeah, I honestly, like, just watching watching the Texans last night compared to, like, what I saw earlier in the season, I really like David Culley there for the Texans. I think he's got a real future there. I hope they stick with him long term. I know the the whole ownership situation with McNair and fucking whatever his name is, obviously... He's using the power of Jesus for me to forget his name right now. But, like, you know, the the guy who's really pulling all the strings up top there, keep him around for a while. But he's a guy, I feel like, a lot like Pete Carroll, just a lot of energy on the sidelines, an absolute gum-chewing machine, has fucking <laughs> double bubble in his mouth and on Baseball deck energy. at all times. I mean, yeah, I love the guy. I feel like he's a really good culture setter probably learned a lot from uh John Harbaugh in that respect but between him and Davis Mills going into this next year I mean going into a draft where we already talked about it, the QBs aren't great but literally everywhere else is superbly deep uh this is a great time just to have Davis Mills in the building and just be like whatever pick you have just take the best available and like we said with the Lions they're probably gonna end up working out so I like I really like the Texans going forward here. I think a lot like the Lions, they get the right pieces in there. They could really push for 500 next year. Yeah, and there's no telling what happens with Deshaun Watson. We kind of threw that by the wayside until the season was over, but I'm sure lots of rumors are going to crop up whether they find a way to reinstate him or they trade him or just outright cut him. Um, They could definitely do something with that as well. I'm sure there's going to be a team who could take a flyer on him. I mean, he is a very talented quarterback in his own right. Yeah, I've heard, like, rumors are that his trade value has gone up. Don't don't know why. I feel like that's probably just the Texans. It's probably just the Texans putting out those rumors to drive up his trade value because nothing has actually changed in the legal sense. He's still probably working to negotiate a settlement. I don't I don't really know that. The reason we haven't talked about it is because the situation is so goddamn nebulous yeah. in, the, in the whole thing. But yeah, and there's nothing redeeming about it. Is the thing too, right? Like we can't even make nah. fun of it because it's straight assault, right? Nah, it's just sad. It's like the the best case scenario, if you could even call it that, is like 
20 women colluded to ruin a guy's career. And the worst case is that Deshaun Watson is a serial predator. Like, yeah. how can you make a joke about either of those things? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, like, like I, yeah, I just don't know what to do with that. But he's so fucking talented that one of these teams is going to take a flyer on him and they're going to, they're going to sign over their entire franchise to do it. I'm just interested to see who it ends up being at the end of the Derek day. Derek Carr for Deshaun Watson? Uh, be in the for Las Vegas. <laughs> I mean, I think Houston would love that deal. I, oh yeah. I don't I don't I don't know if uh I don't I don't know if old Mark Davis would love that deal, but I think Houston would absolutely love that deal. On the Titans side, they got a pretty good win. Um, they got it through the air mostly in this one, which is good to see because I really like to see when teams are able to win in multiple different ways, right? Like you can win by defense, you can win through your running game, you can win passing the ball. It's going to show a lot when you hit the postseason. I think the Titans are the real deal because Deontay Foreman picked up right where Derrick Henry left off and Derrick Henry has one more week where he can rest himself and then he'll be ready for the divisional round. And he's going to come back. He's going to have Deontay Foreman that can carry the load if they decide that he's not ready for 20-plus carries. And then they're still going to have Ryan Tannehill, who threw for almost 300 yards in this game and actually has a bit of legs on him as well. Yeah, and you think about it. I don't know if the Titans would have wanted this season to go any other way because before Derrick Henry went down, I think by all measures, they were overly dependent, overly reliant on Derrick Henry to cover up for a lot of their problems. Like they didn't have a backup running back at that point. The receiving core simply They signed Adrian Peterson, you remember that? Yeah, they signed Adrian Peterson (laughs) to kind of fill in the holes. That didn't work out. But yeah, I mean, going down the stretch, they found something in Deontay Foreman to get a physical presence in there. Uh, The the receivers started working better with Tannehill. Tannehill was really firing on on all cylinders down the stretch and plus they got Julio Jones back as well and now you got all his first touchdown with the Titans this uh, past week exactly and they needed every bit of it they only ended up winning by three in this one so I mean they're really firing at all cylinders down the stretch and without those injuries they wouldn't have improved in the ways that they have and now you look at it they get a week off they get Derrick Henry back after that they get basically a full squad uh they are the scariest team in the AFC going forward right now. I mean, God help anyone who has to face them first off. I mean, you said it right there, right? They're the number one seed now. The Chiefs are going to be the number two seed. And the AFC is going to run through Nashville, which is really exciting to see. I mean, Mike Vrabel probably is coach of the year at this point with just what they've been dealing with. People also don't realize, because we've been talking so much about like the Ravens, who basically put Band-Aids on open wounds, the Saints, who have started like four different quarterbacks and like five different kickers, but the Titans are the most injured team as far as depth is concerned, so they're still a very thin team, but they're still making it work. That's the thing. People are stepping up, and I think that's a sign of really good leadership. Mm, I agree. That's a massive credit to Mike Vrabel. Because I think we've talked about it before, especially like the NFL, as a, as a coach, your job in the NFL is to do the best with what's in front of you and whatever happens throughout the season as far as injuries and attrition as far as for whatever reason. And I think by that measure, there has not been a single better job this year in all of football than Mike Vrabel. I mean, you can talk yeah. about Mike Tomlin's done some similar stuff down there. I think 
you can make an argument for for John Harbaugh getting to where he was with uh, the Ravens this season. But I mean, Don't forget Sean Payton. Sean Payton really give all the credit in the world down there as an offensive guy, winning the way he has behind the defense. That really shows a lot of a lot of uh, adaptability there. But yeah, Mike Vrabel. There is no one that deserves it more this year, and there's a lot of deserving uh, coaches this year. So let's go ahead and get into the AFC East Divisional Crown. It came down to this final week as the Bills and Patriots split their series in season. The Bills, however, ended up beating the Jets while the Patriots lost to the Dolphins. And covered. Sorry if you listened to me last week. (laughs) Yeah, right. Let's go ahead and start with the Bills versus Jets. There's not a whole lot to say about the game specifically, The Bills did what they needed to do. This is probably exactly what we expect out of Josh Allen, where he throws damn near 50 to 60%, but it's for a good amount of yardage, and he makes some, uh, gets a lot of running production as well. Devin Singletary, I think, had like 80 or 90 yards in his own right, but the Jets on the other side, I mean, there probably isn't a rookie head coach that we can trust more than Robert Sala, probably. I mean, it's it's him and Dan Campbell are ideally the future, right? Like, hopefully, they just they get some solid front office help, and those two could definitely thrive and make a nice long rivalry in their divisions. The Bills, for better or for worse, are what they are. I think they're they're a really solid football team, but I think it's just kind of the game plan is uh, hopefully the offense does well, and whatever holes there are in a given day, Josh Allen's just going to fill them in whatever way he can. Like, whether it's run game, getting an explosive play down the field, it's like whatever you need from Josh Allen, he's going to give it. And I think that formula could very well get them to a Super Bowl this year. But just focusing on the Jets, you got to really be excited for uh, Robert Sala going forward here. Uh, I'm still not sold on Zach Wilson. He had really up and down season. I think he improved. It's a bad game. I think he, he improved a lot towards the end of the season, too. So, I mean, you got to have a lot of lot of hope for him going into next season but at the very least with Robert Sala you know you've got your guy going forward at head coach if nothing else because I mean this Jets roster was every bit as bad as the Lions the Jaguars any of those other like top five pick caliber teams but the way that they were able to kind of hustle throughout the season and get four wins it is a credit to, to Salah's leadership. And you saw it down the stretch with how competitive they were. Yeah. Um, so I guess the Jets actually have the number three pick then, I think. Well, I honestly only know the top two picks. I kind of stopped paying attention after that. We, we can go into that more later. Um, but, yeah, I mean. It's not draft season yet. Yeah, we'll get exactly. into it later. The, the Jets do have a lot of promising young talent that we've kind of talked about. Zach Wilson did have a pretty bad game. I think he was like 6 of 20 for like 100 yards or something like that. Um, we'll see. I'm really not sold on him as a quarterback. I think just this entire quarterback lineup in this draft class has been not great. Um, I guess the jury's still out on Trey Lance, but I don't really see a whole lot of upside for any of the quarterbacks. Maybe Justin Fields. Um But one quarterback in that draft class that is definitely shining is Mac Jones, as the Patriots did get 10 wins for the season. Unfortunately, it seems like Brian Flores just has their number here, as I think he's 5-1 against them in his tenure with the Dolphins, which, by the way, Brian Flores is out with the Dolphins, but 5-1 against the Patriots, like, (laughs) what is going on? And luckily for Bill... 
Yeah, luckily for Billy, he doesn't have to worry about that guy anymore. Whoo, he's yeah, out of position right. now. That's pretty great. But you see a lot of times here with those uh, Patriots disciples that I guess don't work out at their, their next head coaching spot for whatever reason, they always seem to come back to New England. So I, I would imagine there is a role for Brian Flores in that New England defensive room. I mean, I feel like it's already crowded with, I think, Matt Patricia's already back in there. you got the son of Belichick actually calling the plays. Joe Judge is gone, though. And I think Brian Flores is a special teams guy, isn't he? Yeah, that is true. I think, well, actually, he was the defensive coordinator before he got hired by the uh, by the Dolphins. So, oh. yeah, it would have to be in the defensive room. Either way, I've actually heard that Brian Flores right now is in, like, contention for head coaching jobs. So he could go right from one to the next one like, like Adam Gase did back in the day. That worked out pretty well for him. Yep. But uh, talking about this game in particular, got to shout out Jalen Waddell at the very least. I mean... He got it in a super cheap way. That's not his fault, though. That's just the way the, the team used him. But he got the rookie receptions record, 104 receptions. Broke Anquan Bolden's record. I would be remiss if I didn't didn't mention that Anquan Bolden had like 1,400 more yards that season than Jalen Waddell had this year. But, I mean, hey, Jalen... 1,400 or 400? Uh, 400, rather. My bad. 1,400 would be any... <laughs> 2,400 receiving yards yeah, so, would be insane. Sorry, still, 400, 400 more receiving yards is... Still ridiculous. Anquan Bolden, greatest, well, one of the greatest rookie uh, receiving seasons of all time. That doesn't change the fact that Jalen Waddle is absolutely spectacular, though. And I think if they used him down the field this year, he could have had a bit more of those numbers. Just that the problem is, you got two as your QB. You need to throw a lot of bubble screens when that's the case. Yeah, I remember there was a game like midseason that I'm watching. Jalen Waddle had like five or six catches in a game. And I'm pretty sure every single one of those was some kind of screen. Yeah. In fact, one of those catches turned into yeah. a safety. Think about this game alone. I think he had five receptions for like 28 yards or some shit. Like he puts up like running back yeah. numbers with his catches. But I think that's the that's the real indictment of, of Tua in my opinion. Because he's a guy that they, they already have that built-in chemistry from college. You should think that they would take more shots down the field... But I don't know. It, it just feels like something into his head, either that or it's like the way the offense is being called to where he just doesn't want to push the ball down the field. And when he does, his accuracy has been inconsistent. So, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine what they do with Tua from here. I think you're overthinking it. I think Tua is just not a good quarterback. Well, yeah, I don't think he's a very good quarterback <laughs> either. But from the Dolphins perspective, the Dolphins have a tendency of overcomplicating everything. I mean, hell, they fired Brian Flores after two straight winning seasons. Okay, to be fair, though, they did start 1-7. It's true. Uh, Ended 8-1, though. You're right, but I'm pretty sure, like, at least six of those eight wins were against non-playoff teams. I, I do give him credit for sweeping the Patriots, but they also did get blown out by the Titans last week, and... Let's be honest, if it wasn't Ian Book starting for the Saints, do you really think they would have beaten the Saints? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point. But I'm also saying, like, the roster isn't totally Brian Flores' fault. I think there's definitely some right. some founded criticisms as far as um, his personality is concerned. I think, like, you heard from Kyle Van Noy out the door, like, there was some serious, like, headbutting going on between Flores and his players that you didn't necessarily have when he was the DC. So there's some fair criticism there, but I feel like Chris Greer, the guy they ended up keeping put the roster together. 
And you look at the roster, and I mean, they have some nice pieces. You know, Waddle is nice. I think they have Laramie Tunsil in there right now at the uh, at the tackle position. But I mean, other than that, like, what what do you really fucking have? Like, there's nothing. There's nothing in there. Like, yeah. Also, I think they traded Tunsil, didn't they? That's that's my bad. They traded for like a first round <laughs> pick to the Texans. Like, yeah, that was yeah, one of those like that. highway that's... robbery draft trades that Bill O'Brien made out going out the door. As far as implications, though, obviously, as we mentioned, the Patriots are going to be in the wild card. I believe the Bills and Patriots actually are going to face each other in the wild card round, yes, which sir. is a hilarious stroke of fortune. You gotta bet that Sean McDermott's going to be studying this game and week one like the Holy Bible. Obviously, Brian Flores has a beat on Bill Belichick, and Sean McDermott has had a good game, but also a pretty bad game against Bill Belichick. So he's got to figure something out if he wants the Bills to succeed against the Patriots in the first round. Yeah, so long as the weather cooperates and they're not throwing into like 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts again, I feel like they should have a bit more of an an even match in this one. And the last like normal game they played against Mac Jones in, in the Bills stadium, or I guess that was in Foxborough even, uh, they ended up shutting them down pretty good. The Bills have like the best pass defense in the league as it is, so I think they're they're well equipped there. But you said it you said it already. I mean, with the the tape that Flores has put out there this season, obviously in the first game, I think it was Mac Jones's first game in the league. So I mean, there's a bit of like green around the ears there. But at the at the end of the season, there to still shut him down. I think you can take a lot of stuff away from that uh, from that film and even have a better performance. It's just this is about the definition of stumbling into the playoffs for the Pats at the end here. All right, let's go ahead and get to the NFC where we did have a little bit of potential for movement. I was wrong in the last cast. The Cowboys actually could have made it up to the second seed if things went right for them. It started off well for them as they destroyed the Eagles. There's really not a whole lot to talk about for the game. Instead, I'm a Shoot some milestones at you. The Cowboys are the only team in NFL history to have a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, a 1,000-yard receiver, a player get 10 or more interceptions, and a player, a a rookie at that, get 10 or more sacks in a season. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, this, this game was not really much to write home about. The Eagles sat basically everyone on both sides of the ball. And I mean, on offense, that didn't really, like, that didn't really have a whole lot of effect. I think Gardner Minshew was was serviceable throughout this one, but uh, on defense, oh man, they got toasted. Yeah. It was this was bad. I mean, the Cowboys had their all of their talents on display. I mean, you just you just rattled down the list there of the the types of stars they have. No one wants to face the Cowboys in the playoffs with Dak at QB. With I know how clutch that guy is. He's flatline and also all those sorts of like clutch situations uh going into the playoffs here they got a home playoff game at least in this first round and then they're probably going to have to go on the road to Lambeau at some point I think they've got what it takes to at least give the, the Packers a game maybe even come out of there with a win I'm putting this out there right now I think it's going to be Packers versus Cowboys for a trip to the Super Bowl I think that the Cowboys are the scariest team in the NFC I'm not ready to say they're better than the Packers, but I definitely think, as I've said this entire time, they're one of the most complete teams, and I think they have the least issues to mull over. 
when you look at like the Rams or the Buccaneers, I think that there are some glaring weaknesses. The Cowboys really don't have a whole lot of that. It's going to come down to some of the coaching, I think. I think if the Niners can make it out of the first round, don't be surprised if they go on a run here, sure. though, man. It's like the only real hole in their roster when you look at it is at the QB. Like Jimmy G is like the biggest detractor on their roster. Because, I mean, you got Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Like up and down that roster, you got like a, a stacked, stacked lineup there. So, I mean, if they can get going, get out of the first round, I think they got a real chance to shock some people, especially like going into uh, going into Green Bay. I know Shanahan has already had success there before with his running scheme, and the personnel there isn't drastically different. So if they can get there, I think they have a real shot of shocking some people. So with this, when the Cowboys ended up getting the third seed in the NFC as they jumped over the eventual NFC West champion, uh, we had the Buccaneers versus Panthers. This game was probably the game to talk about the least. Uh, Matt Rule. Yeah, we don't need to talk about this one. Yeah, I mean, Matt Rule was announced to be coming back for next season, which I'm not surprised about considering he kind of lit his staff on fire, but he has to have the hottest seat in the NFL next season. I mean, the Buccaneers, they had their starters out for pretty much the entire game, so this was pretty predictable. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only shock was like how long they they played Brady, but it you know Brady stayed out there longer to just get people incentives essentially. So yeah, I mean yeah. it's just one of those things where it it was a blowout from start to finish. No one ever thought the Panthers were going to win this one. Uh, I am a little shocked that Matt Rule won't be fired. I think it's probably for the best for like from like a stability standpoint. Um, I just I don't know how you really go forward with him at the end of the day though. But yeah, I mean. No no surprise here. All was quiet. Buccaneers going into the playoffs. One of the best teams out there. We'll just have to see. Uh, I'm very interested to see how uh, that old man does in the cold at Lambeau Field. Yeah, well, he's the he's got the Bucks at the second seat, so it'll be a while before they go to Lambeau for sure. Uh, we had the Seahawks versus Cardinals. The Cardinals still had a chance at the NFC West division title. They actually had a damn good chance, too. It actually relied on their win. Unfortunately for them, the Seahawks had their number here. Cliff Kingsbury is still showing a uh, an acumen for having some questionable play calling as they really didn't have a whole lot. It feels a lot like they just play Madden. They just run some crazy routes like running a four verts and just say, okay, just go at it. And it's not working out for them at all. One of the bigger indictments that you can look at to kind of like, I don't know, See, like, the quality of, like, what an offensive coach is, is, like, how they finish long drives. And you look at the Cardinals throughout this one, they had three different drives of 14-plus plays that ended in field goals. I mean, one of those ended up being a 19-play drive that they settled for a field goal on. And with with drives that long, with, like, double-digit plays, you need to get a, a touchdown at the end of it. It's like, not only is it, like, a points thing, obviously, seven is greater than three, but just from a morale standpoint, getting touchdowns in those drives gives everyone confidence. When you stall at the end like that and you get a field goal, you just wonder, like, what the hell is going on? What's wrong? Like, I mean, it, it makes the entire offense discombobulated. I don't think they're going to move on from Cliff after this year, but, man, if I were in... If I were in old Shook White, uh, whatever his name is, the, the GM there for the Cardinals, his position... 
I I would probably be looking for a, a different head coach. Still staying with the offense. I think that's a that's the good good vein to stay in. But uh, Cliff Kingsbury ain't it, man. Yeah. Um, as for their prospects in postseason play, um, JG Watts coming back, which if I remember correctly, <laughs> what he's co- who would have thought. If I remember what? correctly, when he first went down, we immediately said, yeah, he's going to be back. <laughs> he shouldn't <laughs> come back, guy, but he'll be back. <laughs> the most predictable, unpredictable man in football. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew the second that guy went down. It's like, okay, this juncture in the season, yeah, he's going to come back for the yep. playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if he's actually ready. I doubt that the peck is actually healed. So we'll see how much impact he actually has. But, hey, the defense was terrible after J.J. Watt went out, essentially, or at least middle of the road, maybe they'll get a little bit of a spark. Maybe he'll plug up some running holes. I mean, it, it really can't do anything but help them at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And uh, for the Seahawks, whose season ends, um, we talked about Rashad Penny a little bit, but do want to mention that he did have almost 700 yards since he took the starting role from Chris Carson. He's probably going to be the starter next season, if I had to guess. And uh, we're official on Russ Watch. Russ, uh, we hope that you stay in Seattle, I guess. Apparently, you hope that you stay in Seattle, but uh, I thought that you made the decision here. I feel like the franchise quarterback is supposed to make that decision. decision. Give Ziggy Wilf a call, dude. He's the one calling the shots right now. He'll trade the whole franchise for you, I bet, for the Vikings. I mean, come <laughs> down to Minnesota. It might be cold, but we got a dome. Yeah, fair enough. Let's go ahead and get into the fight for the seventh seed in the NFC. We had the Saints and the 49ers battling it out. If the 49ers lost and the Saints win, the Saints are in. If the Saints lose, the 49ers are in. If the 49ers win, the 49ers are in. So, starting out, we had Saints versus Falcons. You know that this is a historic rivalry when the scoreboard has just visitors on the banner doesn't have new orleans doesn't have the opponent it just has visitors and then the saints went and destroyed the falcons it was not as close as 30 to 20 made it look i mean that's the pettiness i expect from this rivalry because from a distance just watching both sides behave it's pretty comical just the way y'all go at each other i can't i don't know if there's ever really had any of ever a winner on any side it's just pretty funny on all accounts i do want to say though from the Saints' perspective, uh, Paulson Adebo, you mentioned him before on this podcast. He had a ridiculous interception uh, in this game. I think between him and Marcus Lattimore, or Marshawn Lattimore, rather, sorry. Uh, I think they got some real bones there in on the defense, with also with uh, Cam Jordan anchoring for however long. I mean, he doesn't really play like a athletically intensive style, so I think he can play forever. I think they got some real bones for really no matter how the offense is going. I think that defense is going to be very good for the next five years probably. You can name drop a few more players too and look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's a good player. Yeah, that's a good player. They could make a Pro Bowl. Um, Unfortunately for the Saints, what's really holding them back is that quarterback factor as Taysom Hill started. And, well, the reason I don't like Taysom Hill starting is – Generally, when you run your quarterback into a bunch of big burly men, he gets injured. And, well, in the first quarter, I believe, he went out with a Liz Frank injury. So Trevor Simeon came in. He got a touchdown. And then, you know, we ran Alvin Kamara 30 times. And 
Alvin Kamara is not exactly the type of running back we want to run 30 times. So the Saints at least won off of, I think it was three turnovers by the Falcons and not turning the ball over themselves. But I mean, you said it like it's based on defense for the Saints, at least for the short future here. Yeah, pretty much. And especially going into this next season where I feel like the Saints are in a position where they not don't reach for anybody. But I feel like just with how the draft is being hyped up, I feel like Kenny Pickett in particular is going to end up dropping farther than we expect. If a guy like yeah. that ends up dropping to you, I feel like you you take him in the first round. But other than that, this is a year this is a year where you just kind of like fucking take the take the best available, build around the defense. I feel like the team next year is gonna look a lot like it did this year. You just kinda hope like just hope that Jameis comes back and looks like he did this year. Because if he does that, I mean, that's literally all you need. I think you, before that, before he went out, I thought I thought the Saints were going to end up being maybe the number one seed in the NFC. I mean, they were going to be up there just with Jameis, which he's not, he's, he wasn't lighting up the world, but he was good enough to get you there. Yeah, I mean, Jameis should be coming back. Um, all accounts are that both sides are amiable with one another. So it's really just like, if we get like, Russ or maybe I don't know I've heard like Jimmy G's name which I wouldn't be exactly enthused about then I mean we might go that route but Jameis has been good I mean we were five and two in his starts or was it five and three um reports are that the uh tension between Michael Thomas and the Saints organization have fizzled so he might actually be back we draft someone like Chris Olave and that could be a really potent offense moving forward However, the Saints playoffs did not end with their win as the 49ers and Rams entered overtime. Firstly, I didn't know this, but Kyle Shanahan had beaten Sean McVay in five straight contests entering this game. The Rams were up 17-0 entering, well, almost entering halftime. It was 17-3 entering halftime. So things were looking really good. And then Sean McVay gives up his largest lead and Kyle Shanahan makes his largest comeback to tie the game at 24 a piece and then 49ers get the ball they kick the field goal and then Matthew Stafford becomes Lion Stafford throws a ball where OBJ had his man beat and it ends up being an interception because he completely underthrew him and the 49ers and Rams collude once again to destroy any dreams the Saints had just another day in the NFL yeah, as as a Saints fan, how demoralizing was that down the stretch as you just watched the 49ers slowly claw their way back into it? I was pissed, man. I was very pissed. <laughs> it's it's happened to me on many an occasion. I know I know the feeling, man. Yeah, this is this is a tough one to swallow. You got to give all the credit to the 49ers though. Uh you said it before and I I said it last week. Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. Don't know why, but he has absolutely had his number six straight times now. I mean, Sean McVay hasn't beaten him in three straight seasons. Fucking crazy at this point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, credit to the 49ers. But Cooper Cup, tantalizingly close on on all counts for his uh, his record yeah, chase so there. Yeah, 17 yards short of the yardage record and four catches short of the uh the, the receptions record <laughs> brutally short in addition to losing the game on this one well 
one good thing for him that Megatron wasn't able to accomplish is they'll be uh, pretty decent favorites to make it at least a little bit into the playoffs. Uh, so I don't think they're going to be too, too worried about it. It does suck a little bit, but hey, Cooper Cup is young. He'll have plenty more seasons to try to break that record with that extra game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly just... I'm just pissed, man. I I did not like watching the last 10 to 15 Stand. minutes of this game. This game, by all intents and purposes, should have been over at halftime. And then the 49ers just came alive, and the Rams just flatlined. I just I don't understand. Sean McVay is supposed to be one of these great offensive minds, and they get one touchdown in two and a half quarters. Yeah, I think Sean McVay has gotten a, a whole lot of credit I think Sean McVay has gotten a whole lot of credit just based off of how little we respect Jared Goff, honestly, because he had that one really, really good season with Jared Goff at quarterback where the offense was just went like... Went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, went to the Super Bowl, offense was playing out of its mind all season, and then since then, I mean, he's had good offense, but offenses, but they've never been like over-the-top, awesome, consistent offenses all the time. As far as like offenses are concerned, though, looking at Shanahan's offense over on the, the Niners sideline, it's a very like this is a fun construction as far as like versatility, athleticism. I mean, between Debo Samuel and Ayuk in the, the receiving core and wherever the hell you want to put him, there's hard to name a, a more versatile tandem there. And just singling it on Debo here, it's crazy what he did in this game. Yeah. He had four catches for 95 yards. Eight rushes for 45 yards and a touchdown, which is five and a half yards per carry. Pretty solid. Also, for good measure, he had one pass for a 24-yard touchdown, which brings his total on the day to 164 yards, two total touchdowns, 12.6 yards per touch. This guy is one of the more versatile athletes, offensive weapons in the truest senses of the word that we've ever seen at the wide receiver possession, I feel like. Yeah, I think that Debo is probably what Sean Payton envisioned when he thought of Taysom Hill, whereas Taysom Hill's probably a bit bigger, more power run heavy. Uh, Debo really likes running a lot of those jet sweeps right. But, I mean, you said it. He was able to get a touchdown passing. He was able to get a touchdown just running the ball, and he still had a ton of production in the air receiving it. He's going to be a really good piece for the 49ers, and the 49ers are one of those teams who could provide a bunch of teams some fits, starting with the Buccaneers, who they'll be going to Tampa Bay to face in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what the real question here, looking specifically on the other side of that, at, at the Rams, for Matt Stafford, who's going to show up on a given day? That's a big question. <laughs> is it going to be the Matt Stafford that threw 17 interceptions or is it going to be the Matt Stafford that threw 41 touchdowns this year? I mean, it's, you know, it's it's hard to tell which one at any given time. And, you know, I will say, hand up, I think I overreacted a little bit yep, to the uh, initial spurt of Matt Stafford at the beginning of the season against, frankly, bad teams, bad defenses to where he put up big numbers. But I think Matt Stafford just kind of is what he is. And that is, I mean, back end of the top head. Uh, back end of the top 10 sort of quarterback and you can win a Super Bowl with that at the very least so I mean it's just all about limiting those mistakes in key situations I think yeah I definitely think he's a clear upgrade over Jared Goff but 
we definitely overreacted with how much of an upgrade he is. Uh, definitely not like an Aaron Rodgers caliber type of quarterback. He's not going to completely change the franchise, but he's definitely better than some of those transitional type players like uh, Kirk Cousins, I would say, where he can take over the game. The problem is that he does tend to make some of those boneheaded mistakes, uh, such as throwing, what was it, like three interceptions, one of which was yeah. a pick six against, uh, I think, I can't remember who that was, but it was a bad team that they played. It was like the Texans or somebody. But regardless, I'm just saying, if you're tied with, with Trevor Lawrence in any given stat, that's bad. Not good. Not right. good. Yeah, right. Um, at the very least, he does have offensive production. I mean, he's got some other tools to work with as well. The Rams are going to be a solid team entering the playoffs. As far as the NFC West is concerned, they do have three teams in the playoffs. I don't think any of them are particularly great, though, is the thing. I think the 49ers are going to give the most fits just because they're hardest to defend. But I think the Cardinals, now that they're going to have to consistently play great opponents well, are... Shit, they actually have to play the Rams, so one of them's going to be out in the first round. I think the Rams are probably going to win that. And then the Rams, they've been very questionable against some of these really good teams. I mean, they gave away a win to the 49ers that they should have won. Great teams tend to finish out these types of games. Yeah, and hell, they got swept by the Cardinals this year too. So it's one of those things where, I mean, we think they're going to win next week against the Cardinals, but we we have a lot of evidence to suggest otherwise too. And it, it's one of those things I kind of agree that none of these teams are particularly like, like great. I think if the 49ers had like any semblance of a QB, they could have like a real sort of Super Bowl caliber team, but any, these teams could really win against anyone or they could lose against anyone at the end of the day. It's just kind of the NFC West experience. I do have to give them credit though, that really from top to bottom, Hell, even the Seahawks ended up going 7-10 and 10 this year. That division was exactly what we thought it would be. They were just nasty from start to finish. Yeah. They were what we hoped that the AFC North would be. Exactly, exactly. Let's go ahead and get into the final race of the playoffs as we are not done with the drama. We started out with the Steelers versus Ravens who, against all odds, were both still in the playoffs at the very end. It was almost a win in your end. They needed a little help from the Colts versus Jaguars. This game was about what you expect from AFC North. Very defensive heavy. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson was out and Big Ben is, well, old. So yeah. quarterback play was not great in this one. Tyler Huntley, he definitely proved that he's a backup quarterback, not a starting quarterback. As in his first extended time playing in probably, what, his fourth straight game at this point, I think. Uh, this was his first pretty bad game passing. Yeah, and I think, you know, Tyler Huntley is the type of backup you want with Lamar Jackson in there, and if you can retain him, I feel like you should. But at the end of the day, he is, I feel like, a backup. He's a, he's a young QB at this point, so don't, don't get it twisted. I don't think any Ravens fans were thinking start Tyler Huntley at the end of the day. But, yeah, I mean, it's good to keep in perspective – who the guy is so you don't get complacent. But yeah, this was just a classic, classic edition of this rivalry. Low scoring. The final score was 16-13, and that was even after o overtime. TJ Watt tied the sack record, and damn, that was in the first quarter. I remember texting with you. I mean, it I know it was in the, the first, first quarter. Half. So what happened was um, 
he like sacked the quarterback. But if I remember correctly, Tyler Huntley actually bobbled the pass. So it was listed as a fumble when he mm-hmm. went to pick it up. He was considered a runner at that point. So it was considered a tackle for a loss, not a sack. He ended up actually tying the record in the like third or fourth quarter. I mean, that's some bullshit. That it is, is some bullshit. It is, is some bullshit. bullshit. I, would what be pissed if, I would be pissed if I were TJ Watt, but I mean, given the way that the NFL is played nowadays, I mean, I have a feeling he's going to be in that ballpark at least one more time in his career. So, I mean, fret not, you'll probably get a chance again. Uh, on another note, for the uh, for the Ravens at the very least, shout out to Mark Andrews. I mean, hell, greatest season receiving in the franchise's history. I'm not sure what that says about the Ravens that it was a tight end, but I mean, hey, good for Mark Andrews at the end of the day. Also that it was just below 1,400 yards, but hey, good for Mark Andrews. Uh, maybe the Ravens will not have a million injuries next year. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, right? Like their running back room was completely decimated. I At one point... Before day one, even. Yeah, like I think their defense for the game against the Bengals, they had like 14 active players on defense. So... Things never really looked great for them. And now Lamar Jackson had this extended timeout, and that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Credit to them for getting this close, but ultimately the Steelers won. And while these two teams were playing in overtime, we had the Colts versus Jaguars conclude where the Jaguars won the first annual (laughs) clown out. If you're going to lose any game, oh, it cannot be a clown out, my guy. And big red noses, big bushy mustaches to show what the what the Jacksonville Jacksonville clowns really think of Shad Khan. Yeah, and I feel like at this point the fans showed up with all the clown makeup on and they kicked the Colts' ass. So, uh, do the fans have to show up in clown makeup every game from now on? I think yes. they. I think they do. I think that we yes. need to get more clowns in the stadium at all times. And if we can just make the clowns a mainstay at the Jaguar Stadium just to add to the ridiculous spectacle that that stadium already is, I'm all for that. Yeah, I mean, get that shit going, man. But really, on a serious note, what the fuck were the Colts doing here, man? <laughs> what what the hell? Carson Wentz pissed it away. I think they only gave uh, Jonathan Taylor, like, what? Less than 20 touches. Frank Reich still doesn't get the concept that the after all these games that you just give it to Jonathan Taylor and you end up winning. Uh, yeah, just extend that that uh, streak of not winning in Jacksonville to eight seasons. It's one of the most perplexing things to happen in the entire NFL. Yeah, I mean, the Colts lost three straight games to start the season, and then they got really hot as the Titans were starting to falter. We thought they might actually win the AFC South, And just as quickly as we were getting really high on them, they lost two straight games. One of them being to the number one overall pick Jaguars. And now they're out of the playoffs completely. The Steelers take over the number seven seed. What the fuck is going on? Like the Colts really need to figure something out. Like, yes, they need to get a new quarterback in there because Carson Wentz. Sorry, man, but you're not the guy to win anymore. But also, there's no game plan going on. There's no consistency in this game plan. And Frank Reich is considered one of the better minds in the NFL. But to have this lack of depth as far as running the ball more is a bit staggering, to say the least. Yeah, and I feel like 
when you have an inconsistent starting QB who does wild shit, you're going to have an inconsistent team that sometimes does wild shit too. So, I mean, that's just kind of the bed you made with Carson Wentz at QB. They have to keep him next year. I think the cap hit dead, dead cap hit is like 22 million or some shit. So they're, they're going to have to keep him next year, but I think there's an out before 2023. So yeah, he's kind of, take it for what it is that that's just kind of what you have there but they really I feel like pissed away an opportunity because that defense with Darius Leonard the running game between Jonathan Taylor and the offensive line I mean you can't just take for granted that they're going to be this good next year and man Carson Wentz he's got to feel terrible going going away from this one because you had it in the palm of your hands and I feel like just gave this one away especially since he was outperformed by Trevor Lawrence in this one. And Trevor Lawrence is having, dare I say, historically bad rookie season. Right, right. And, he, I mean, we talked about it earlier. He's had the most interceptions this year with 17. Uh, I think the least uh, touchdown passes among rookie starters with, with 12 this year. But he ended up outplaying Carson Wentz and... I mean, Trevor Lawrence is not all bad there. I think whoever comes in there next year, I mean, you got a guy who was coming into this year the most touted uh, prospect since Elway, basically, as far as like his physical attributes are concerned. But like, uh, whoever whoever comes in there at head coach, I mean, Urban Meyer did a number on that that whole situation. There's going to be a huge reclamation project there, and. It's going to be an uphill battle for anyone that comes in. A talented guy, but it's it's a hard path to see him getting successful at this point. So, the Steelers were not technically in yet. Because if the Raiders and the Chargers tied, then they both would have been in. And, of course, because of this, everybody <laughs> and their mother learned some super basic game theory that, well, if you took a 101 business class, you would have learned on the first day. Uh, everyone was cheering for the chaos, hoping for a draw, and it looks like we were going to get a draw for a second there. The Raiders went up big, then they let off the gas, Chargers come back, get it to overtime, neither team is able to score, and Rich Basaccia is looking to get zeros on the clock, not even take the field goal before Brandon Staley calls a timeout. And they kicked the field goal, and well, yeah. it was dramatic to watch, but the ending was just unfathomable. Yeah, and before I get into the just the the dumb shit that Brandon Staley did there, I do want to like from a bird's eye view just take a look at like Vegas avoided basically like what would have amounted to like. The banks in 2007 when they were all like collapsing, that is basically what they avoided in uh, not getting a tie in this game in Vegas. From the fan duels, the drafts, DraftKings, the online guys to the MGMs, the Borgatas. If this game tied, uh, casinos might have closed down. That's how many people bet on the tie for shits and giggles. I mean, they got to be thanking their lucky stars they didn't get that one, but... As far as the the game itself is concerned, I mean, Brandon Staley, I know the numbers people have championed him all year, but this is one of those classic ones, classic situations where it's like, I mean, just because the numbers told you to do it doesn't mean you should do it. Like, 
I don't know necessarily, like, I didn't... Truthfully, I'm an old man and slept through the final sequence because, I mean, I needed to put some caffeine in my system. I just couldn't make it at the end of the day. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what the vagaries of all of that, but I know he did go for fourth and one on his own 18 when I'm sure the numbers would say go for fourth and one, you make it like 60-some percent of the time. Uh, Logic would state if you do that on your 18 and you miss... Uh, you give the Raiders a field goal without doing fucking anything, which is exactly what happened. And it's just, Staley's done shit like that the entire year, and it comes to a certain point where if you're on the extreme on either side, like big old football guy not looking at analytics at all, or just solely looking at spreadsheets, you're going to be a fucking terrible coach. It, the truth is somewhere in the middle, and it's based on like a case-by-case basis. It's based on your personality. Like, too many coaches are lazy on one side or the other with just like either trust your gut or go with the spreadsheets. It's like, you know, it takes a lot of work to find the in-between there. I think part of the issue here too is that Justin Herbert put in a good game number-wise, but he was just not very efficient. He had 34 completions over 64 attempts. And if you want to get some of these fourth downs, especially if you're deep in your own territory, you probably have to have closer to a 70-75% completion rate because, like you said, if you give it up at your 35-yard line, you're basically giving them a free field goal for nothing. And, I mean, you got to give props to, like, Mike Williams, Jared Cook, Austin Eckler. They all seem to have big plays at key times. But, ultimately, they lived and died by the big play. There was never any consistency to their drives. If I remember correctly... The last drive that they had to tie the game was a 19-play drive over a two-minute span. And the entire time I'm sitting there, I'm trying to figure out like how it's possible to attempt 19 different plays in only like a 40-50 yard span. But they got it done. The big key here was for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs finally put in that big that big game that we have been waiting for to push the Raiders over the edge. He had a good 130 yards, and he's looking like the Josh Jacobs that we knew he could be, that he was all of last season. Yeah, and I mean, Josh Jacobs is huge for that offense because it gives them a different aspect outside of Derek Carr for defenses to have to key in on. And I mean, say what you will about Derek Carr as a player. I mean, personally, he confuses the shit out of me as to whether he's like good on a daily basis or not. But as like a pure leader, I think in that locker room, I think he is an absolute stud when it comes to like relating to the guys around him, being a leader of men. I feel like whether you fucking whether you agree with his his stances off the field or not, I mean he's a really religious guy and all that stuff. But as far as like just relating to guys one on one, you saw it even even in the Henry Ruggs situation where he had compassion for him on the way out the door, even though I mean a lot of people were just trashing him. I mean, that's a guy that you want around the franchise. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily like the top-end elite passer, but I think you can win with a guy like that just based on personality and culture setting alone. Yeah, and with this game, the Raiders end up in the playoffs. Rich Passaccia has a couple more games, hopefully, to make his case to stay as the coach. As you mentioned, Henry Ruggs, but... Also, John Gruden was unceremoniously booted as well as he had the whole scandal uh, with the Washington football team. And we'll have to see how that plays out. But the Raiders are in. The Steelers end up getting the seventh seed. And let's go ahead and look a bit to the future. 
We'll go a little more in-depth on these games in our next podcast. However, one big thing I want to note is that the Bills and the Patriots are going to play against each other on Saturday, and the Cardinals and the Rams are going to play against each other on Monday night. This is going to be a great weekend of football. I think there's really no clear winners I feel here. There's nobody that's tearing the league up. Like we said, the Packers and Cowboys are two good proponents. The Chiefs and Titans are great on the other side, but you can't put a gun to my head and make me choose. It's too hard to pick here. Oh, not. I feel like personally, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of like good matchups here. I mean, I feel like there's always a few of them that end up being like blowouts more so than we expected. True. But that Bills Patriots matchup being the third one, the amount of familiarity they already have. I just I love it when division rivals face each other in the playoffs. I mean, you saw it, you saw it with the the Bengals Steelers back in the day. The way that they had those nasty matchups. I mean, I just I love the vibes on those. I feel like that one's gonna be the most fun one to watch if you're like you or me, like a good physical hateful matchup. Uh, I feel like the the funnest one though. I'm not entirely sure. What the actual matchups here? Let me scroll down. Yeah, that Cowboys 49ers matchup. Give me that all day, fucking every day, dude. I feel like that one is just going to be a fun uh, contrasting styles one. I think the Eagles versus Bucks is going to be really interesting in a similar vein as well. I think the Eagles and 49ers are the two biggest teams to kind of really rock the ship here and knock off some of these teams that we think are favorites. Overall, good weekend, I think. And Nickelodeon's back, too. I believe they have the uh, the Sunday afternoon game, I think, the 4.30 game. Somebody's finna get slimed. That's all I know. Oh, yeah, dude. We finished our quick picks, and uh, Caleb had a quite a gambit to pull off. You were overall successful. Unfortunately, it's a, Gained too, a whole game. too late. Whole <laughs> game this week. Considering yep, that there that. were seven games of opposition, though... Not bad. That means you went four and three against me. So, hey, not bad. And crazy like a fox at the end of the day, but uh, I'm still going to be burning off my fucking taste buds and clearing out my sinuses come Pro Bowl week. That's either February 1st or 3rd if you're wanting to tune into uh, my misery. I'll be watching for sure. Yeah, you don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for the NFL. So, uh, One last note I want to make is we finally got to see Clay Thompson come back for the Warriors after it's been like two and a half years at this point with that Achilles tear, I feel. It's been a long time. Yeah, I think I saw something. It's been like 900 some days since he last played basketball because, yeah, he had... He had an ACL injury, and then he went straight from that into an Achilles tear, I believe. That's or what it was. Either that or the other way around. I can't quite remember. But, yeah, he's been out for a long time. And for him to come back, not only come back, I think he got 17 points in 20 minutes, too. I mean, you got to really love the Warriors going forward here. Also, not to mention, by the by, they got James Wiseman coming back, who was the number two overall pick last year. I think he's only like 20, 21 years old. Uh, they are a scary scary team here going down the stretch going into the playoffs I think yeah um didn't even mention uh it feels like they found a trope for Andrew Wiggins too as he's come back and put in some quality time for them and the Warriors without Clay Thompson are 30 and 9 which is tied with the Suns entering tonight so could change uh tied with the Suns for an NBA best record and now they're adding one of 
the greatest spot-up shooters of all time to that roster, the Warriors are an instant finals favorite. Yeah, and I think with a lot of players that come back, like, they, their play styles dictate to where, like, they might not come back and have, like, an immediately positive impact, but I think the way that Klay Thompson plays the game, he plays a lot of defense, he shoots the lights out of the ball, he's such an unselfish style of player that you can plug him in almost immediately, and just with what he does, he immediately makes your team that much better. I Having Klay Thompson back there in, in conjunction with what Steph Curry is already still doing, that guy's a fucking madman. The Warriors... It's insane that over two seasons, just getting, you know, Kevin Durant leaves town, they're already right back in the thick of it as far as winning the championship. I mean, all the credit in the world to that front office because they pulled off some wizard shit here. I was not a fan of the Kevin Durant tenure. Uh, I liked the Warriors when they were a little bit more of an underdog facing off against LeBron James in the finals every year. Uh, He made them a little too OP. And I mean... When you've got the Splash Brothers, plus, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of Draymond Green. Say what you will about him, but he puts in a lot of the dirty work. He does a lot of the things that nobody really sees. And he's the type of asshole I like. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I mean shit, he's a Michigan State guy too, right? Like they they've got that kind of reputation in basketball at least. He's uh, Izzo's favorite player of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh this is this is the kind of Warriors team that I am definitely gonna be rooting for. Uh, between them and the Suns, I think those are probably going to be my two favorite teams to watch. Yeah, definitely a team we got to keep an eye on going forward here, especially as football season ends and we're just fiending like crackheads looking for sports to fill our time throughout the day. But with that, that is just about all for this episode. We have been busy as shit and or lazy, so we just didn't didn't get any stories from the real world this time. Sports are all that matters anyways. It's fine. But uh, yeah, that's all. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. Maybe get some ads in here at some point, though I feel like listeners maybe don't want that as much as we do. But uh, anyways, even if you didn't like it, just leave a five-star rating anyways because it helps us out and you're not a terrible person. I hope so anyways. But uh, we put out episodes twice a week right now, though... Might as well nip this in the bud first off. I think, I don't know the exact time frame over, but in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be winding down with uh, our college football coverage, our playoff coverage and stuff like that, kind of the coaching carousel. Once we get all that stuff sorted out, we're going to go down to one episode a week, probably, you know, either around the same length as one of these episodes or a little bit longer than one, so you get a little bit of bonus content there but we figure you know better quality over quantity there going forward especially heading into the offseason here but with that said follow us on twitter at caleb verzak at zachary w Mullen. links will be in the description for that so you don't have to spell our names out if you want to contact the show send us an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com uh, specify first word of the subject line all caps business or show so you can be uh, sorted accordingly Ah, uh, that's about it. Thank you for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, we have zero idea what we're talking about, but I feel like we know a little bit more each day through the power of knowledge.